along with Joel, Nikki, and Kyrie. We're here until midnight. Then the Sports Center all night on 98.7 ESPN. Rich Amini will join us at 10.15. Columnist and author George Willis will join us at 10.30. So we have a jam-packed edition of the show for you on this Thursday. As I love to say, let's go to work. It happened again. No, I'm not talking about baseball. <laughs> I know you thought, oh, no, he's going to talk about the back and forth with baseball, the proposal that was a proposal that's not a proposal. What are they doing? I'll give you a break. We'll talk a little baseball in top stories, but I'm talking about Jamal Adams back again. Here we go again, saying that he was supposed to have a, an offer in January. That's what he was promised. And to paraphrase him on Instagram, the Jets have been kind of like, well, tumbleweeds rolling down the street. Silence. <laughs> And he's a little ticked. And when he says, maybe it's time to move on, here we go again. Now, as Ritzamini wrote on ESPN.com, the Jamal Adams trade request is the first big test for GM Joe Douglas. Does he trade his best player or hold firm? Know this. Teams already are showing interest. A trade for draft picks does not help the team in 2020. As a matter of fact, in that case, he should have done it before the draft. Now, if he opts for a trade, the package needs to include a quality player. Judge shouldn't be in a hurry. They have the leverage. This is once again Rich Samin. He says, I know this. They're not happy with his behavior. And obviously, he's not happy with their behavior. And that's what makes this so interesting, right? Because really, the Jets are in no rush. He's under contract for this season. He's under contract for next season. And if they wanted to, they could, they could, you know, lock him up for a third season. They could franchise him. So really, he would not get a hefty raise until the third season because then he would make the average of what the top paid salary safeties are in the National Football League. And that's where he would be, clearly. But he doesn't want to wait. And while I understand his point of view in that he has outplayed his contract, he has outplayed the amount of money that you pay him. Unfortunately for him, in the scheme of things, when general managers look at how they pay their players based on importance of position, quarterback, pass rusher, cornerback are the top three. Then you throw in left tackle and so on and so forth. Top flight receiver, running back, somewhere down the line. Unfortunately for him, the safety position is not one of those that you would consider a high price priority position. Now, having said that, he has done a brilliant job with this Jet team and has made himself one of the top safeties in the National Football League, and I think the Jets will agree with that. And especially what they have done, and, and you know, with him and how the season he had last year, where he was, listen, he was the he was the best pass rusher the team had, led the team in sacks. So clearly, where he may not be 
as you look at the league, where the league views how people look at safeties, along with C.J. Mosley, Jamal Adams right now is the one, two best defenders on this team. And you could argue one of the two or three best players on the team. So that's number one. Number two, and when Rich in his article says Joe Douglas is in the tough spot, he is. Because now this is one of your guys. Not his guy because he didn't draft him. But it's one of the Jets' homegrown talent. And it sends a certain message if you don't sign your own. It just does. And players talk around the league. So, and listen, it's not like the Jets have had a ton of draft choices that have panned out. (laughs) All right, they've had some issues keeping their draft choices. I mean, you could go through, uh, you look at John Idzik, There's, I don't think there's any draft choices left from his administration. None. So that is an issue. And here you have a guy who is, who has shown you that he is ready to go. He wants to be on your team. He wants to stay. This is tough. And you know what? It continues to get tougher. 1-800-919-3776. Also on Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. Our poll question, very simple. Will Jamal Adams start the 2020 season in the Jets uniform? Yes or no? Will Jamal Adams start the 2020 season in a Jets uniform? Uh, and later we'll talk about if there'll even be a 2020 NFL season. Off to the phones we go. Chris in Manhattan. Hey, Chris, you're batting leadoff on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, how you doing, Larry? Doing great, Chris. What's happening? Well, I guess if I'm batting leadoff, I got to lay it down, right down the line like Mr. Quick. Oh, and I'm going to end up on second base. There's no question because uh, there's nobody down there. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, first things first, are we are we paying football players or are we paying positions? Now, there's a reason I say that because if we're not if we're paying positions, stop taking not positions that are not premium in the first round. And I know there was a lot of people out there this year talking about I need a receiver in the first round. Wait a minute. You just you just named off, right, quarterback, right, mm-hmm. uh, edge rusher, mm-hmm. left tackle, and then corner. Those are basically your four premiums, right? Mm-hmm. And how many people are out there screaming for a wide receiver? And they'll probably do this, the, the same thing next year when Jamar Chase comes out. So to a certain extent, it's like you're setting yourself up for some of this. That's the first thing. Um, yeah. There's a little, there's a little bit of an issue of the timing. Mm-hmm. Who knows what the the 2020 salary cap is going to be like? Um, and again, you just referenced if there's even going to be a football season. How does that affect the um, 2020 salary cap? Then the other thing is, is was there some type of mandate from the ownership? Who uh, uh, some of the stuff that I read. Reports. I mean, if you believe the stuff that you read in here, that they were cash strapped. Mm. Hence, maybe some of the reason for a, uh, an influx of one-year deals. Um, so, I mean, in, in that sense, uh, going forward. Oh, and let me get to this list. 
I don't give a about your list. Except for the except for the Houston Texans, they would be number one. I be, what? Yeah, give me. Please let please let you. If look, I want to keep Jamal. Um, the year that he had last year, people see, keep seeming to forget. I mean, it's not like you know. How much was around him? Yeah, not much. Yeah, and 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 that's not you know that's not saying you know that guys like Burgess and Hewitt, you know, you had a whole lot of people step up, but I didn't see C.J. Mosley most of the year. I didn't see Avery Williamson most of the year. You know, you're going to have to tell me, you know, who their who corner, you know, who their cover corner is, okay? And again, you're talking about a safety year, probably asking him to do more than he's supposed to if, you, if, if he's your main pass rusher. Mm-hmm. So I I do understand you know why you know to a certain extent he wants his money because this is a one hundred percent injury rate sport you know yes, so you'll is. you'll have you'll you'll have people talking about oh well he's going to get nine million dollars next year if he makes it that far so I understand his side I also understand Joe Douglas's side listen man I gotta wait you know and see you know what transpires you know in you know. As far as you know, whether we're going to have a football season, um, but you know, if it gets to the point where he has to go, oh well, you got to go, you got to go. I've seen Darrell Revis leave. All I'm saying is, again, if he has to go, it is not going to be about your list, except That's for sure, maybe, Chris. except for maybe the Houston Texans, because I'm looking for a lot. Yeah. And guess what? Some of these teams that are on your list. That's a low first-round draft pick. Get up out of here with that. I'm looking at the Cincinnati's. I know Jacksonville ain't giving up a one because that's going to be Trevor Lawrence, uh, Mm -hmm. Fields, you know, or Lance, you know, one of those quarterbacks. Now, but I'm but I'm looking for I'm looking for I'm looking for at the very very least a number one and a number three, and I want those to be high high picks in those rounds because. I'm looking at here we go, Larry. I need edge rushes, bro. Yeah, start. You do. If, if, if college football is in season this year, University of Miami, Larry. Two of them, Rousseau and I may mispronounce his name, Roche or Roche. Mm-hmm. Okay, so University of Miami. Look, if you need cover corners, man, there's a few out there, and there's a few juniors out there. Let's say uh, Pat Sertain Jr. Okay, or the second. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr. Mm-hmm. And then you got a Sean Wade who's out there. Well, I'll tell you this, we, Chris, and, and, yeah. and thanks for the phone call, my friend. I got to run so I can get some meaning on. It, it's, as he said in his article, it's about the draft for the future because that draft, that draft pick is not going to help you this year. You have to get a front line player if you're giving up Jamal Adams. There's no question about that. You are listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Ricky's in Far Rockaway. Hey, Ricky, you're next on 98.7. Hey, Larry, thanks for taking my call. You got it, Ricky. You know, on the commercial break, they have that bit. It's, I guess it's an ad for the call-in show about the pizza delivery going wrong. Yeah. Well, when I went back, back in the 80s, when I worked for a, a car leasing place, I paid a delivery to Philadelphia, and it was the wrong car. It was a stick shift instead of an automatic. 
And as I was driving back toward the Ben Franklin Bridge, those narrow streets in South Philly, somebody almost hit me. Next thing I know, I got a gun in my face. It was a cop pulling me over. So, I mean, you know, misdeliveries can be, have some serious consequences. Now, wow. also that, about that Coach Gundy, I'm not familiar with the guy. But to put in, in, in context uh, the N-word, you'd rather I use the N-word than just actually say the word on the air, right? Please, yes. I worked for two years before I had my career at the post office delivering food for a, a, a meat company in Rockaway. It was near the projects, and the, the helpers that you had were all kids from the projects. And they all they spewed was the N-word. And I may say they called me the N-word. I, I heard that as my name more than I heard my name, but it was not an affection. It was kind of like a, a show of respect. And what they did with the word by using it that way, they took the sting out of it from anybody else being able to use it against them. But, it, you know, just to throw that, throw that in, not to defend that guy Gundy, because I don't really know anything about him, but I'm just saying that sometimes it's within context. But uh, to get to the stuff that you know, you've been talking about, you interviewed Willis, but you didn't ask him the $64,000 question. Was he pushed out at the post, or did he leave because he wanted to? Because I love the post sports section, but as far as I can tell, he was the only black writer there. No, there were others. He was um, one of the few African-American columnists there. Um, right. but, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not really sure. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't know if he wanted that out. Yeah. But I mean, it's, 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 in a way it's important because like I said, I love the post by far. It's the best sports section in town and the writers are great. I wouldn't say get rid of a, this guy to get, pick up that guy. But, uh, I used to love this, uh, uh, fight and talk column on yeah. Saturdays if it was going to be a big fight or a big mm -hmm. UFC that night. I mean, he got you all set up for it, and uh, oh, I'm going to miss him. And as far as the football, I'm a Giant fan. No way would I let Adams out. You're not going to get a guy as good of him, so why would you trade him for a, a draft pick? I mean, he may be a little unhappy, but he seems like he's a gamer. I think ultimately he would play hard. Now, I'm a Giant fan. What about Aldrich Rosas? What do you think? I would love the Giants to cut him and got to go after Gutkowski, the guy from the Patriots. He's a free agent right now. Yeah, you know what, Ricky? Thanks for the phone call. Um, I'm beginning to wonder what's the deal with uh, Gutkowski up in New England because normally when they let you go, they're thinking that it's almost time that you're done. So I don't know that I would make that move if I'm the Giants. Rojas is interesting deal. Uh, what they've said publicly is they're going to wait to talk to him and then they'll make a decision later. So we'll see what happens. Right. Mark well, is in Newark. Last year. Yeah, he did. He did struggle. Thanks, Ricky. Mark is in Newark. Mark, you're next on 987 ESPN. What's up, Brad? Hey, Mark, what's going on? Oh, man, all good. I got two things tonight, Larry. Mm -hmm. um, one on Jamal mm -hmm. and one on uh, Mr. George Willis. Mm -hmm. um, on Jamal. Um, for me, you know, like I've heard every story, he didn't happen about the Jets, so I'll just get to the heart of it with Jamal. I love him. Um, I think that he could hold on to those interceptions a little better, but that's nitpicking, but I think he could do that, and he's probably worked on that in the off season. But if there's going to be a football season, Greg Williams, his – his, his, this is this is that culture that everybody always talks about, and and he has he has instilled one, and Jamal Adams is a very very big part of that for a lot of reasons, and and so when I hear oh well we could we could trade him and we could get a edge rusher or a this or a that, that's that's not what Greg Williams is doing here. It's not his whole philosophy is stop the run first. Trust the speed of his corners, and he loves to play with his safeties and linebackers. And I, I'm quite sure whether Jamal stays or goes, 
he's going to continue to do that. So I'd rather him to continue to do that culture with Jamal back there. That's that's all I'll say about that. Mm-hmm. Understood. Yeah. Now, with uh, Mr. Willis, now he's back how maybe thirty years ago, twenty five years ago, somewhere in the middle of that. Um, I used to ride back and forth on the path train all the time. And I think I told you that I met Ray Lucas on the path train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I always used to read the newspaper, like the Post and the Daily and the Star Ledger. Sometimes the Times, um, they, they got a lot of my money. It was like every day, as much as like I call you, I would read the paper. And so, you know, like when I flipped through the sports section, I'd see Sanini. They'd have those little square boxes with, with their picture in the box. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I'd flip through the sports lab and I'd see Samini or Wally Matthews or Gary Myers and, and I'd just keep flipping, hated it, hated it. Because I disagreed with all of them all the time. That's probably why I bought the paper. And then I would come to this little square box and it would be a little, it would be a little black man's head. And I'd be like, oh, it's George Willis, right? And, so, and, and the thing is, as much as I enjoyed that, um, <laughs> I disagreed with him about everything, too. Mm-hmm. And um, when I heard you talking to him, uh, I was I was absolutely fascinated. Um, he's, I mean, when he mentioned about the diversity in the media, it made me think about a lot of things. And one of the things it made me think about was you, Larry. You are a beacon. You're the only. Just like I would flip through the paper and see that one little square black man's head. Well, now that's you, Larry. And and you represent, and that's why your show, New York Tonight, I say come big or go home, your, your show is allows everybody, and, and, and they love it, Larry. You have no idea the effect of, or maybe you do, that you have on us, man. And I don't get that from any other, because it's pretty much all the same, as Mr. Willis was talking about. It's blah, 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 blah. Oh, Larry's on. And 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 that that's just wonderful, man. Keep up the good work, man. You got me a little choked up right here. Keep up the good work, man, and keep representing, bro. Well, I appreciate that, Mark. Thanks for the phone call. But I am uh, your very kind words, and I appreciate it. But I am by no means alone because you know, uh, Chris Canty and Bart Scott do tremendous work. Uh, on this station and there's other folks, you know, Bamani Jones is a contributor, Stephen A. Smith, obviously. So there's a number of other African-Americans who are speaking out and doing a tremendous job. But I thank you for the kind words. You are listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. My next guest. Spent 23 years as a sports columnist at the New York Post. He's also worked at the Times and Newsday and the Memphis Commercial Appeal. He's the author of The Bite Fight, Tyson and Holyfield, (laughs) The Night That Changed Boxing. He and I will mention that because we both were there. And co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Unnecessary Roughness, Inside the Trial and Final Days of Aaron Hernandez. We welcome George Willis to the program. Hey, George, how are you? I'm great, Larry. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, sir. So tell me about your new spot now. We know that you've left the Post, and now you're at the New York Extra. Tell me about it. Well, yeah, I've joined a new platform called the uh, NYExtra.com, and it's a a website that will offer some commentary on sports and news and entertainment. So it gives me an opportunity to branch into a few different things and talk about something other than just sports and uh, looking very much forward to that. 
Well, you started off with a bang, my friend. Your <laughs> your first article, <laughs> sports media must take a serious look in the mirror. And uh, boy, do I know what you're talking about. Share this with the audience. <laughs> well, basically, we're in a climate where, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about what happened uh, with, uh, you know, George Floyd and social issues and how, you know, people have been, uh, you know, basically been a victim of racism for a long time. And I think you've asked athletes what they think. And we here in the sports media, we do a lot of coverage of what people say. And, you know, we've covered the protesters and we've covered what the athletes have had to say. And we've asked the different professional leagues, the NFL and the NBA, what they're going to do. But, you know, it's also time for those in the sports media to examine themselves and basically look at their hiring practices. Uh, does your staff reflect the kind of diversity that really is needed today? Or is it a staff of maybe all white males like it has been for, you know, years and years? And I think, uh, you know, it's very important now that we're at this juncture that uh, people in the hiring positions, uh, sports editors, uh, what are they going to do to affect change, or are they just going to be bystanders? Now, George, in your article, you write that you've been the sports writer for 37 years. I've been around kind of along the same time. And, George, it's it's a discussion that uh, we have amongst ourselves when we're on site uh, at various games, and we look around, and it's like, hmm. And George, it's a it's a discussion we've had and, and we've had it, it seems like since I started, we were having this same discussion and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of change. Why is it because folks aren't taking that next step as journalists? Are they not encouraged? Or is it the same old story that we normally used to hear of? Well, we just can't find anybody for these jobs. Well, the reality is when I go to press boxes and I look around and see who's in attendance and who's working as either, you know, a print reporter or a television on-site person or a cameraman or things of that nature. Number one, there's very few minorities in the press box at all. And then maybe half of those are uh, former professional athletes working in a broadcasting capacity. But when you try to find in the radio business or in print business, very few minorities uh, that are present in the press box. And actually, you know, the numbers I think have gotten worse uh, over the last 10 years when you would think that maybe they would become more diverse. Uh, it's just not happening. And I think there was maybe an emphasis on hiring and diversifying staffs in the 90s, but it hasn't been that way, you know, heading in to the last 10 or 15 years. And what I'm concerned about is, you know, the younger people coming in, will they get the opportunities that they deserve? Are they getting, you know, to be looked at on a fair basis? And I just don't think that's happening. I don't know what the excuses are. Uh, they can't find minority uh, candidates or whatever. I think that's a cop-out. But, I, you know, my plea is just sports editors and managing editors just to do a little better, look a little harder, and see if you can get your staff to reflect, you know, the people that you're covering. And, George, speak about how important that is because it changes the type of assignment. It may change the angle of the assignment that you have. It, it's, it's just a different point of view. 
Yes, it is. And I know, you know, with the era of social media that's going on now, you know, athletes are getting a voice that they've never had before. They can go straight to the public with how they feel and their concerns and their issues. So they don't need the media to to get their, their voice out there. But if you're not really understanding what somebody's talking about, if you can't identify with what they're talking about, if you can't sort of feel what they're talking about, then you're not going to really represent what they're saying. You're going to twist it to what you think and what you feel. And, you know, that's always good. But you can't have a staff that's entirely made up of that. You have to have some diversity on your staff. You have to have people with different life experiences because that's the people that you're covering. Chatting with George Willis. He's now a member of the NY Extra. You can re- reach them on thenyextra.com. You're listening to ESPN New York tonight here on 98.7 ESPN. So, George, what's what's the suggestion? What do you tell the journalists who are listening to us right now, future journalism students who, who want to get into this business? And uh, sh- should they be discouraged? Should they? What, what do you tell them? Well, I think that the business is changing, Larry. I think, you know, it's open to a lot of different opportunities for the young journalists mm-hmm. coming in, uh, especially covering MMA and boxing. You see a lot of young uh, entrepreneurs uh, taking using their YouTube channels to become their own type of journalists, covering mm-hmm. these fights, covering boxing matches. You know, they're not going the traditional way of trying to join on with a newspaper because those jobs don't exist very hard to get into television in internships and become a reporter because those jobs are also, you know, becoming fewer and fewer. So they have to become a creative and almost invent themselves. I see, uh, you know, young men and women covering MMA and they've got their own sort of flair with their own name and their own name tags and their own way of dress. And they're also starting to do that a little bit in golf. You know, when you mm-hmm. see the bar stool websites so it's a wide open field out there. You have to be very creative. But, you know, the hardcore uh, uh, mainstream media outlets, you know, the ESPNs, the Yahoo.com, you know, the New York Post and the New York Daily News, New York Times, and the major papers across, across the country, Associated Press, they still have a measure of power. And those are the people that need to to really take a hard look at their staffs, staffs that they have and try to diversify it and and make sure that we're not getting back to where we were trying to get away from. Yeah, because like I said, George, we we've we've had these conversations. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 Association for Black Journalists, uh, right. you know, have have tons of resumes. I mean, they have they have you know uh, conventions every year trying to get resumes and trying to you know push forward. And we've had these discussions. The late Stuart Scott spoke. At, at, at one of the, uh, you know, black journalist conventions to talk about some of the things that we're doing that he was trying to do to add diversity mm-hmm. there. So this is, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's almost disappointing that we're still at that, but it's like a lot of things, George, is, we just have to keep fighting. Well, yeah, it's an amazing thing that you're talking about the discussion about inclusion and, and adding more diversity to the conversation and on their professional sports team, where if you look at the sports media, that's where a lot of the uh, the firings and the furloughs have been taking place among the African-American communities to the point that Mark Cuban has made a donation 
to the NABJ to help the number of African Americans who have lost their jobs, uh, media jobs during this time. So, you know, that's sort of a story that's not been spoken about. That's what's going on. And, uh, and it's a, you know, it's a tough thing. It's a sad thing. There's a lot of bad things going on right now, but that's also one thing that's going on in the media that really hasn't been talked about a lot. There's no question about it. George, I, I can't talk with you and not talk about your book, uh, Tyson versus Holyfield. Right. <laughs> and and with the with the conversation that I'm hearing about Tyson looks great. He might be coming back, but just just take me back to that night, George. It it was a, it was a surreal night in Las Vegas. It really was. Well, it was a wild night, you know, when I first uh, came up with the concept of the book, they're like, "How are you going to write a book about something that happened in 3 minutes?" But if you look at everything that went on surrounding that fight during that night in the Mm -hmm. aftermath of that fight, there was just a whole series of things that happened from, you know, going into the fight that these two had paralleled each other for a long, long time. They finally fight after the fight being canceled two or three times. And uh, Holyfield wins the first fight, that big upset. They do the rematch. The same thing is about to happen. And Tyson starts biting his ear, gets disqualified. And there's also a riot in the MGM, uh, the MGM Casino Hotel yeah, that's right. that happened. And, and then you talk about the plastic surgeon, who was the guy who put, found the ear and things like that and put the ear back together. And the, the climate that was, you know, boxing was at that particular time was just, uh, you know, we haven't seen that again, really. The Tyson era, Don King era, mm-hmm. uh, all those kind of big fights that were going on at that particular time. So... Anytime you revisit basically any one of those fights, Tyson Spinks, any one of those big fights in those areas, there was a lot of stuff going on that uh, that that people really enjoy, I think, I think, reading about. Not the same type of uh, tenure that we're getting with Tyson Fury, huh? Well, no, Tyson Fury has really brought a lot of excitement to the boxing game. And if you talk to a lot of people, you know, different Americans as well as people from the U.K., he is their favorite fight fighter. He's brought entertainment back to the sport with the whole chariot entry in mm-hmm. the Wilder fight mm-hmm. and the way he carries himself, not to mention his mental health story. So yeah, I think he's, he's probably the brightest shining light in boxing has seen in a while. And it's almost a shame that this, you know, pandemic has sort of slowed things a bit. But people are excited about, you know, him fighting Joshua and, and Tyson fighting Wilder again. And I think, you know that's brought a lot of excitement to the heavyweight division. It 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 just seemed like George that the Klitschko brothers held the heavyweight belt for about twenty twenty five years. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and you know they were credible champions. There just was not a lot of competition out there for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there just really wasn't a lot of competition for the Klitschkos to really build a legacy on. And they were trying to fight the mandatory challengers. There was there was just nobody there to fight. And, uh, you know, by the time uh, Joshua came along, uh, Klitschko was basically done. And so he was he didn't really have that opponent that you need to build a legacy with. And and that's too bad. Last thing, uh, when we talk about kind of what you're talking about in your article here, George, it's it's interesting that we're looking at athletes. And there was such a, a, a long time that we were begging especially in the African-American community, for our athletes to speak out. And now we're seeing that uh, to mm-hmm. the point that we even got a debate now whether the NBA wants to come back or not because right. they feel, a, you know, a sense of, of duty 
to speak out mm-hmm. and, and represent the community. It's 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 one of the things that has unfortunately that this has brought out. It's nothing new. We in the community understand that we've seen this over and over again as far as uh, you know bad policing, but it it's it's one of the positive things I think that's come out of it. Yeah, I think so too. You know, we it's funny that we can criticize the athletes for for speaking out nowadays. That's when we used to criticize them for not speaking yeah. out. So mm-hmm. that, that's kind of funny. But I think it's it, it, it's a wonderful thing. I think it's only going to continue as athletes realize they have leverage because of the economic power they have nowadays. Uh, they also have the social media to uh, to control the narrative. We've seen that with Jamal Adams and what he's doing yeah. with, the, with his negotiations with the Jets. You know, he's mm-hmm. controlling that. You know, every day there's something in the paper about what he has posted on social media. So he is controlling the narrative. That never happened, you know, in the 90s or, you know, even 10, 15 years ago. So they understand they have a lot more leverage. They understand they have a lot more economic power nowadays. And that's allowing to speak out and voice their opinion without fearing that they're going to lose any of that. The article is entitled Sports Media Must Take a Serious Look in the Mirror by George Willis. You can read it on the nyextra.com. And, George, you have a personal website as well, right? Well, my Twitter account, you know, is G Willis Sports, And then we're building some things. A podcast will be coming in the near future, and we can tell you about that. But, uh, you know, it's good times ahead in the sports media. And I think diversity is going to be important, that everybody has a voice and talk about things and what and sports everything from the scores to social issues. I mean sports is what galvanizes people, supposed to bring people together and I think it it still can be that. Best of luck with your new projects my friend. We'll talk soon. All right, Larry. Take care. You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> 